Hi, and welcome to The Sustainable Century, where we explore with experts, with leaders, activists, communities of interest, mothers, fathers, and kids, how to buy, how to work, and how to invest for happier lives and a healthier planet. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Hi, our guest today is Andrew, or Drew Polkin. He's the principal of Upspring Associates, where for over two and a half decades, he's been helping social entrepreneurs make new ideas reality as a consultant, an agile investor, an entrepreneur, and all around excellent person. Drew is based in New Mexico. I've known him for a long, long time. I'm gonna go there one day and see him once all this COVID stuff is over. He's worked with several Native American nations and in over 40 countries. Welcome to the show, Drew. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate the opportunity and glad for all the things you do and hello, listeners. Yeah. Well, you know, we've been doing this stuff. I've been doing a retrospective with a lot of old friends. I did Mark Campanelli from Carbon Tracker the other day, and he'll be on soon as well. And, you know, one of the questions I've been asking people is, you know, in, in the area and the space that you work and yours is social enterprise. Are we making a difference? But let's, let's get into that. Let's, let's talk. How many years have you actually been doing this kind of heavy duty uh, social enterprise work as an alternative to, to business as normal? Maybe explain it for my neighbor, my neighbor, Harry, who kind of understands sustainability, but not really. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so I was working in the nonprofit field in the United States, and we kept running into problems that a lot of folks uh, on your show and a lot of people who you've spoken with probably have, which is we never have enough money. We never have these programs are always late. They're not reaching as many people as they were intended to. And so why is that such a consistent trend? And how do we help efforts that are leading towards social change be better? Uh, and so I went off to get an MBA and uh, the, you know, all the wonderful flowery things as a youth that you write in a, a college application or an MBA application ended up being this thing called social enterprise, which is really just how do we take the power of the marketplace and use that to make a better world? And that can be in business, that can be in social change efforts, it can even be in government. Uh, but it's the thought that uh, capitalism or business is not a bad thing, it's just a tool, it's a shovel. Um, you can use a shovel well, uh, you can use a shovel and break it, uh, you can use a shovel badly and, uh, and hurt someone with it. And so how do we take it and use it well uh, to leave to the most benefit for the most people? Hmm. Well, you know, I've seen uh, a lot of social enterprise come and go. Most of them are pretty small. I mean, most of them don't grow. Most of them have amazing missions and visions. And, and even the ones that grow don't strike me as having had, you know, much of an impact about stuff. I'll, I'll circle back to that as well. But why don't you address that first by saying, like, telling us what is one of the most successful, you know, social enterprises or social entrepreneur uh, that you've had the pleasure of helping or working with or just knowing? Yeah, yeah. Great question. Well, first of all, I acknowledge that the question about impact is important uh, because 
I think the World Bank even did a study of does microfinance matter, which is something <laughs> you shared for many years. And uh, the real fun thing would have been if World Bank had done the same analysis on itself to see if the World Bank matters. <laughs> but, uh, I think that's beyond what, what they would be capable of. Come on, uh, that's not fair. Come on. Oh, <laughs> uh, come on. Sure it is. Um, and, you know, so I think, uh, I think there's two facets of impact. One is uh, the micro or the community level, right? And so you asked for an example. Here in the United States, there's an organization that almost all Americans know called Goodwill. And many people might not think of them, but they're one of the largest social enterprises. I mean, this is a B billions dollar entity where they're in hundreds of cities. Uh, they're, they're known in the United States for their used clothing stores. Uh, but what might be less known is how many thousands of new Americans and Americans with disabilities and the hard to employ they have helped. Um, and the folks who usually are stronger, have more of their act together, uh, aren't in the system very long, right? They come in, they get helped, they're gone. Uh, and the folks who are a little more chronic or um, have more challenges or further away from normal American society need, need more assistance and need more shelter. Uh, but this is a place where Goodwill helps uh, young people, people with fewer means to be able to get new clothes and new household items affordably. Uh, they help thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands each year. And so, you know, I think impact is really significant, uh, but maybe we can't always measure it in the way the social scientists have. Hmm. Um, so this is the example I usually point towards, um, and I'll pause there because I've got plenty of stories of really dynamic entrepreneurs that I think really highly of. Well, let's come back to that and just have a second, but it's interesting that you brought up, you know, uh, means of measuring impact, so to speak, because... As many people know, I work uh, quite often for different agencies of the United Nations, and in one of them, uh, we consistently are asked to measure improved beneficiary welfare uh, by income and assets alone. And that tr I find that troublesome. I mean, I, I find that troublesome. I, I find, you know, why is life worth living if it all comes down to two economic uh, impact measures. And, and then I, you know, you're trying to come up with an alternative and well, it's not that easy, right? Well, it's not that easy if you're playing by the economist's rules and the economists, like many scientists or social scientists have, uh, baked the game so that they come out, they score well. Uh, and what I mean by that is, uh, economics and money is just an easy thing because you can count it. It goes from one place to another, and that's the sign of progress. But, you know, you look like Bhutan, and they have their happiness indicator, right? Uh, and a lot of other people have tried to emulate that. Um, and, you know, I'm an aficionado of Green Bank. I, I work for Green Foundation and still believe very strongly in Muhammad Yunus and the women who have made that institution. Uh, and they have a wonderful system. That's the 10 questions. And it started in Bangladesh to create a so complicated a system that was simple. And by that, I mean, you could have a loan officer with you know, a high school, low college education in Bangladesh, go out and ask every client 10 questions. And if all 10 were yes, then the person wasn't poor anymore. Does the PhD candidates measures? I don't know, but I thought it was brilliant and it's been really effective. 
Well, you, you know, one but, of the one of the other uh, one of the other multiplier effects, if you want to use an economic term, of Muhammad Yunus has been a an a elevated sense and desire to uh, perform social service in in Bangladesh. I've worked there a couple times. And the folks there are just incredible. And they've done an amazing job. I mean, they couldn't feed their country 30 years ago. Now they're, thir- now, now they're in, in, in addition to their own uh, country people, they're, they're feeding all the refugees from uh, Myanmar. So it's, yes. I mean, these things are hard to, these things are really hard to measure. And I, and I tried to do it thinking in, in terms of, you know, the projects that uh, the UN supports and it was it was quite quite difficult but we will hold out hope and we will we'll we'll go to let's go to bhutan together one day tell us about the example yeah you are going towards yeah so there are a lot of really wonderful people who are in the world that i define as social enterprise and i'm not so worried about the jargon uh in the industry there's a little bit of a quote-unquote fight if you will between the people who think social enterprise is social change or social justice now, uh, which is very important and certainly uh, rising in prominence, and then more of the market-based efforts where you have a nonprofit or a charity organization that's doing a revenue-generating or business activity, right? So Goodwill, as an example, where they have a level of financial self-sufficiency because uh, they're selling stuff in stores. So some social entrepreneurs that I like, um, here in New Mexico, the Native American communities are called pueblos or, or villages. They were a location-based. Uh, and so the Pueblo of Acoma, which is a fascinating community, they uh, live out on a mesa, kind of like Masada. And uh, the governor, whose name is Brian Vallo, uh, he started a cultural center, a museum. And so this is a social enterprise because they are seeking to protect their culture and looking for viable ways to share it with the, the community, their own community, the regional community in the world. And, you know, it's a museum. So they're asking people for donations. They're selling stuff. They've got a gift shop for their artists. And it's a really basic example that many of us would understand, right? But in a community that didn't have this and was feeling that colonialism and the extraction of the white people was stealing their culture, it's a way for them to own uh, the culture and be able to control the means of production, so to speak. Uh, and so I think that's a really powerful example if you've ever seen it. And they're working on their website to be online for more videos. People can check it out. ACOMA, A-C-O-M-A, ACOMA. Oh, that's fantastic. Listen, uh, we're going to take a little break. We've been talking with uh, Drew Tolkien of Upspring Associates, where for over 25 years he's been helping turn uh, social entrepreneurs ideas into reality and drew thanks for the recommendation we're going to listen to a little slice of david bowie and queen under pressure
Uh, we're back. Uh, that was a slice of David Bowie with uh, Freddie Mercury. God bless their souls. And Queen, of course, under pressure. Uh, we're talking with Drew Tolkien. Drew is principal of a social enterprise company, Upspring Associates, out of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, you can find Drew at uh, Upspring, Go Upspring. Uh, that's G O U P S. No, I'm spelling completely wrong today. I'm losing it, Drew. At Go Upspring, G O U P S P R I N G. Or you can check him out on LinkedIn at Drew Tolkien. That's T U L C H I N. Okay. Um, so we were talking a lot about uh, some successful uh, examples of social enterprise. Uh, before the break. And one thing I wanted to ask you, and I, I tend to always ask the social uh, enterprise experts that come on the show, I say, well, what kind of, you know, can we see, uh, do social, will social enterprise either as a small group or a large group or an ethos, is it going to have real impact at the systemic level? And by that, I mean, yeah, not just recycling a few clothes or taking a, care of a few people, but actually resolve you know the underlying the underlying uh, biases in the system, in the economics and social systems that cause such uh, inequality and and uh, negative effects on the environment. Yeah, yeah, great question. First of all, social media shout out there. So the Go Upspring is Twitter, uh, and then with <laughs> our website is UpspringAssociates.com, and we've got a bunch of media as well as educational pieces. And we also invite people to join us for blogs if people would like to share our piece. So they're welcome to get in touch with us and uh, particularly students or young professionals who are thinking about some new ideas. We're happy to help them with that. Um, and then to your question of does this matter? Um, I think it does. I think um, I'll probably butcher the adage, but you know, first they ignore you. Um, then they tell you to go away. Then they fight you. Then you win. And so I think there's a subtle effect where this stuff was at the fringes um, and now it's in the mainstream. And you see it in corporate social responsibility, you see it in business activities where uh, a business can't be unethical from a consumer standpoint, at least in the United States. And you, know, you have to have authentic brands and be having quality products. And that's an outgrowth of nonprofits lobbying and vying for human attention in the public, as well as corporations knowing they can't do some of the things that they used to. So some of the stuff's a little subtle, um, but I, I'm very determined that it has made a difference, it will continue to make a difference. Uh, and it's the only way that our seven generations are gonna get through the next wave and be able to have clean air in the future is by the continued efforts of, of these uh, yeah. warriors, these social change experts and social entrepreneurs. You know, not, ju not just clean air, but food, period. I, I'm a bit of a cynic, obviously, in, in this. I've been doing this corporate social responsibility stuff for, you know, a, a few years longer than you've been in social enterprise. And, and you see some edges being rounded down, certainly. But, you know, and, and you see this as you've wandered around the world yourself. The, the insidiousness of the American material consumer society and, you know, Western Europe to a certain extent. And you see it take root and then start to grow in, in other countries. Now, we know that the impact on the world of Africa is like an 180th of 
you know, the Western world. So we don't have to be too worried about that in the short term. But in the long term, people want to live like Americans, right? Now, my question to you is, you know, do you see a horizon where people say, wait a minute, what is this life thing about? I'm, I'm, I'm working to kill myself so I can pay for all these things, but I'm not enjoying life. Can you see people saying, I want to work in a social enterprise. I want to have more time to help preserve my way of life, my culture in the good way, of course, <laughs> your example, and ecosystems, or maybe even, or just having simply time to share, to be better with your neighbors and family. But I mean, do you see that cultural shift somewhere? Because I think that's what's needed. Yeah, well, I heard, I heard two items in what you said, and I think they're both really important. One is um, the, the world is not going to exist if everybody has the carbon footprint of, you know, Western modern capitalism, right? Uh, and so what I think about is the progression of, uh, of birth count. And in America and in Europe, birth count has changed over the last hundred years where Middle East and Africa uh, it is not there yet. Um, and now Spain, Italy, Japan, they actually have negative birth rates. And Ireland and Spain, you know, the bastions of Catholicism have even uh, been okay with abortion and controlling families. So I think if you educate people and you make education available and you take care of people's basic human needs so that they're not suffering all the time, they can start to make different choices for themselves, for their community, uh, and for their society. And I think that if you empower that and have that be the basis of social enterprise, then some of these elements and some of these outputs of carbon, uh, capitalism, money, those types of things, consumerism, I think those begin to change. Yeah. It's all about what you value, though, isn't it? it Drew? I mean, in, in many cases... Uh, you, you have to go out of your way. Your transaction costs are typically higher for a social enterprise. Not always, obviously, uh, but often they are a bit higher. Um, we have to value that somehow. Can, I mean, I always use the example, if you, took two, if you took an Omega watch and a Citizen's watch and you took the label off both of them, right? Uh, you would get 50-50. People go, oh, I like that one or I like that one. But if you leave the labels on, they, oh, they always go for the Omega watch. And even though they're relatively, their performance is pretty much the same, right? It's like, that's a difference in value. Why can't we value differently things that embody, you know, uh, taking care of ecosystems or preserving, uh, you know, cultural ways of life or doing these kinds of things? Or do you see that converging now more in business? Well, I, I disagree with, with one of the fundamental elements you said, which is that it costs more. Um, I think that in at least American society, there's some nonprofits and some social enterprises that benefit from uh, quite a bit of subsidy. And I think it's deservingly so. Uh, the goodwill example, again, you can make a donation and get a tax deduction. And in many communities, uh, you don't have to pay taxes and they don't have to pay taxes. And I think that's the way it should be. Right. Um, and then the other side of things is you have the petrochemical industry are getting incredible subsidies <laughs> that are just astronomical. Let's not, don't even go there, my friend. You want to set, you, you set me off. Part of the equation. Yeah, but it's part of the <laughs> equation. So uh, give me a level playing field and then let's have this discussion. And I'll put up my social enterpre entrepreneur against your 
you know, corporate uh, middle-aged white executive anytime, man. And yeah, but that, that, that circles us back to a, a whole a whole passel of problems that we can't solve with social enterprise. Uh, we'll solve part of it, I hope, on November 3rd coming up. But I mean, those are, I mean, the, the, I mean, you look at the new breed of capitalists, you know, Zuckerberg, you know, Bezos, all these guys, are they, are they any more enlightened than other capitalists or? No, those examples, those are the 21st century robber barons, right? Um, you know, in America, again, uh, you had these wonderful people who are well-respected, Rockefeller, for example, uh, who then became these great philanthropists, the next generation, even the Ford Foundation, right? But Ford and Nelson Rockefeller were SOBs to the extent and the amount of lives they destroyed themselves through their business, you know, the fact that they were anti-union. Right. So, uh, that's what we're living with now. I think Gates is a little bit more uh, enlightened. I think, uh, you know, Berkshire Hathaway, I find amusing. Um, you know, there are guys that step down and gals and people step down from that that are much more impressive. You know, you look at the B Corporation or the Benefit Corporation movement, and you've got um, Patagonia, you've got Ben and Jerry's, you've got Danone, um, you've got a, a wide circle of well-respected brands that are really doing it well. Uh, they're running their companies well, they're treating the workers well, and they're having the magnifying effect. Um, right. And, Let's, let's look at them, and they've got one less zero than Bezos, maybe two or three, uh, but they're spawning hundreds and now thousands of similar companies, and, and those are the folks we need to care about. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> it's an interesting analogy calling them robber barons. Let's leave on a positive note. Uh, sure. Who was the most inspiring social entrepreneur you've had the uh, pleasure of working with or meeting? Yeah. Um, well, I got a little bit of a shout out here. Um, I'm helping a couple of startups, triple bottom line startups that I really like. Uh, if you're in the United States, there's a company called Parting Stone run by a really dynamic young guy named Justin Crow. They're taking cremated remains of people who have passed and instead of it being ash, turning it into stones and, and jewelry. So that instead of you having something that's negative for the environment, you have something that's physically attractive that people can engage with. Uh, and that's something that's positive for the environment. Um, there's a woman named Edie Dillman. She's got a company called Be Public. They're making uh, prefab housing panels that are the greenest things you've ever seen. So you can have a comfortable home that's affordable. Um, and there's dozens and dozens of other examples where there's these young companies, there's these who have uh, industry changing ways to really be the next wave of, of household names and companies. So those are the things that I look at for inspiration and that I really think are going to make a difference. Uh, some of them can't quite yet quantify, um, but you know when you see it, and, and they're, they're going to be different a decade from now. Well, it's been inspiring, and I love your positive attitude, uh, Drew. It's always great to talk with you. Thanks, man. I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, people are welcome to reach out on upspringassociates.com. You can find us there. And again, we're happy to share educational pieces if people have good ideas we want to hear about them and we're happy to to, to shout from the mountaintops of, of ways that are going to make a difference well let's let's do a session one day with a bunch of your um a bunch of your clients and stakeholders and maybe that could be some fun yeah sounds awesome Appreciate okay you.
appreciate the things you're doing and appreciate people for listening today. Super. Well, that's a wrap. I, I hope you've enjoyed our podcast. We've been talking with Drew Tolkien. He's a principal of a social enterprise company out of Santa Fe, New Mexico called Upspring Associates. You can learn more about Drew's work at on Twitter at GoUpspring or just check him out on LinkedIn, Drew Tolkien. That's T-U-L-C-H-I-N. And remember to check out all the articles, blogs, and videos and whatnot at the sustainablecentury.net, including our Leading Transformations. It's a curated webcast of younger sustainability leaders and doers as they discuss the challenges of sustainability into the future. Uh, thanks again. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields, host of The Sustainable Century. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked it. If you did, I encourage you to check out The Sustainable Century blog at thesustainablecentury.net. Remember to click like in all the right places. Better yet, pass the blog or pass the pod along. And remember, it's up to you. It's up to us to make this a happier and healthier world.